Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. That's the second time it's gone off. Never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. That's... Yeah. <laughs> they have asked for that, really. Uh, you can laugh. I'm a little bit of an idealist. But having said that, I want to be like me. But I don't know what you're talking about. What did you want? I managed to stay alive for six oh, days. I'm going to need it there. I'd say it to your face, not say it to you now. I went down to Anfield and we'll see them, won't we? What you doing down here, you shiny man? <laughs> Hello and welcome to Monday's Irish Times Second Captain's Football Podcast. Can you enjoy putting myself and Murph on the spot regularly on this show, asking oh, yeah. us questions on air and watching us flounder around, embarrassing ourselves? Absolutely. For the answer, this has been noted by several listeners over the years. So I will turn the table on you right now and ask you what player is being described in this match report from October 2013. Jason Burt reports from mm-hmm. the Stadium of Light for the mm-hmm. Daily Telegraph. Mm-hmm. For his goals and precocious performances, the teenager performance, the teenager can expect a far warmer glow of praise. At the Stadium of Light, a star was born, just 18, and making his full Premier League debut, this player, lit up a tense, absorbing match. Adnan Yanazai. Damn it. <laughs> Even I knew that one. It was too Two easy, goals. It? it was too, too easy. On I, like, the whole idea of the setup, surely, was that it was going to be so impossibly hard and difficult that it would be one little win mark in our column on. Giving the um, now it looks now that now we look stupid again. I just look stupid again. Given yeah. the stadium of light made it too easy, I'd say. Okay. Although you know, eighteen-year-olds player October twenty thirteen who scores goals, it would have to be Yanis. There wasn't any others of that. Well, it certainly wasn't going to be a Sunderland player anyway. Moyes deserves huge credit for selecting him, and now United need to tie down this most promising of young talents to a new deal. Currently, he is out of contract at the end of the season. Mm. So that was the report at the time. That was Adnan Yanazai and Manchester United did indeed tie the uh, secure the future of this young man two weeks later in fact when signing him up to a five year contract the problem being as Murph kind of guffaws there in the background he has spent most of those years not really playing very much for Manchester United on loan to Borussia Dortmund last season where yeah. he didn't play very much at all even there and he's been shipped out to Sunderland and Moyes this year the reason I bring all this up is just to sound a note of caution before we go all guns blazing into the Marcus Rashford hype machine today which we are going to do because we're going to chat to <laughs> Rob Smythe who's a huge fan wrote a great piece during the Euros calling for Rashford to start against Iceland obviously he bailed Manchester United out again on Saturday and I'm, I'm starting to think he could be the real deal but uh, you know I probably thought that about uh, Yanazai when he was scoring those goals too Oh, I definitely thought that about Yanazai. Did you, yeah? Oh, yeah. Well, he was the one bright spot in that entire season for Manchester United. So it wasn't even... I think it was... 
his brilliance was magnified by yeah, the, it's a good point. Yeah, terrible. It was a really difficult environment for a lot of other players to thrive in, and yeah, he just looked like he was going to be the man. What happened? Um, Makeda as well. I mean, he's somebody who gets brought up. Federico Makeda. I had a little look there just to see what he's up to these days. He's been told he can leave Championship side Cardiff City. Right. Uh, this is a few weeks back. Cardiff manager Paul Trollope, this is a weird quote, has told Federico Makeda and fellow forward Adam LaFond that they can leave Cardiff this summer. They can look for pastures new, he said. <laughs> <laughs> what, what, a, what a weird way. It wasn't even just Cardiff City. It was kind of like, you could leave the city. We'd like you to leave the, the municipal area, that please, was, if that was all right. We'd like, we'd like the entire Cardiff urban area to be... a. Federico Makeda Friesel. I'm waiting for Makeda to come out with a quote. The best thing about Cardiff? The road out, the road out of there. Perfect. <laughs> yes, yeah, his pastures new are back in Italy. Apparently Pescara want to sign him. But even that, uh, it seemed to be about to happen a week ago and still hasn't been finalised. So these players can go off the boil, but uh, so far things looking pretty good for Marcus Rashford. A man at the other end of the playing scale, age scale, Robbie Keane, oh, yeah. is doing his press conference today ahead of his final game against Oman. So... We'll play a little bit of that for you later if anything interesting comes out of that. Time now for Ken Hurley's Report on Sport. So, Owen, I guess the thing that that seems to be happening um, three games into the Premier League season is that it seems to be completely reverting to type. Uh, All that stuff uh, we were talking about last season about how, um, you know, uh, everybody's got so much money now that the kind of playing field has been leveled out a bit the gap between top and bottom has narrowed a lot and it's not so easy for the big clubs to have their have it their own way all the time seems to have just been completely forgotten about as we look at the top of the league and it's Manchester City Chelsea and Manchester United each with three wins in a row out of three and these clubs um, are once again stomping on everybody else that analysis was never really being taken seriously though was it that was just last year everybody having to find some way of explaining the freakish nature of Leicester's title triumph mm. uh, you know you got you got to fill those column inches so you have to say that oh well it looks like certainly for this season uh, you know the, the old order has been rattled but just judging by how they all doubled down Man United and Man City with their new managers and the amount of money that they've uh, Manchester in particular have uh, thrown at new players I don't think anyone was thinking that it wasn't going to be them this year. Were they one of those big teams? Um, well, I, th- I think in terms of uh, to to win the title, I think most people would have probably chosen one of those uh, one of those teams. Well, one of the Manchester teams, to be to be quite frank. Um, but you know, I mean, it, you do. I mean, for instance, you look at the bottom of the league at the moment, uh, and it's Stoke City who are there. Um, Stoke City are you know a team that have got. Some pretty decent players. I mean, Shakiri, Arnautovic. Um, they signed Joe Allen, you know, for thirteen million during the summer. Um, you look at the team above them. It's Bournemouth. Bournemouth signed, you know, Jordan Ive for fifteen million. Uh, Lewis Cook six million. Brad Smith six million. Uh, Lewis Cook seven million. Brad Smith six million. You know what I mean? These are huge. Like Bournemouth are one of the biggest spending clubs in Europe. You know, so you, I, I think that it does have to. It should be making. A difference. The problem is, if you spend fifteen million on Jordan Ibe, you've spent you've spent a big amount of money. It's it's like you're a big player, but unfortunately, you've signed Jordan Ibe. He's not necessarily going to transform things in the on pitch 
sense. You know what I mean? You've got the you're, you've got the firepower and you're using it, but maybe you're kind of firing in the wrong you're direction. Too excited with all this money. It's like ah, got to spend this fifteen million somewhere. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I don't know. Hopefully, these teams will, will kind of get to grips with it at the moment. But we've seen quite a few uh, games which which weren't really that competitive. I mean, West Ham very disappointing. I thought against Manchester City uh, in particular. Um, but uh, you mentioned that we're going to talk about uh, Rashford and, and that whole situation with Rob Smythe. Yep. Um, he obviously scored an injury time winner for Jose Mourinho's team. Uh, Wayne Rooney, who played, I thought, very badly for almost all the match, then created the goal for Rashford with a with a nice piece of play at the end. So his his figures are are good. I think it's a goal and two assists, but his performances really are, are puzzlingly bad. It's a lovely assist though, isn't it? It was. Nice, it was. nice bit of composure at that stage of a game. I mean, that's what Rooney does bring you when he's in those dangerous areas. He still is a guy who... Well, either that or he loses the ball to whoever's coming to tackle him. I mean, that's that's that, mainly that, what that he's giving you. That does also happen, yes. That was mainly what he was giving you throughout the game, but he did uh, manage to do that. So it's, it's kind of a dilemma. It's, it's like, well... I mean, Mourinho's sp- speaking about it um, I was I was watching the game and was thinking this is the kind of performance in the first half that Mourinho would have subbed the player off. I really thought he he uh, just because of the sheer number of times he actually lost possession, like had the ball and lost it stupidly. Uh, I'm not talking about passed it to the other team. I'm I'm saying he's got it at his feet and loses the ball. Um, Mourinho usually doesn't does not put up with that, but in this case he was being a little bit more indulgent. Um, now he says he said afterwards I can take him out it's no problem for me to take him out no problem for him to be out Um, this is why he didn't take him off in the second half to be fair he says but I was just reading the game and feeling the playing with the two strikers Marcus and Zlatan I needed Mkhitaryan and Rooney just inside because the fullbacks were the ones playing really wide uh, on the touchline I didn't need wingers because at this moment the wingers were Valencia and Luke Shaw so instead of wingers, I needed people to play inside in that position. I know he's the guy with the vision for an assist and a feeling for the ball and that he could be important, like he was. <laughs> so um, a good example of a manager loving it when a plan comes together. Um, uh, and Wayne Rooney responding by talking about how Jose Mourinho has, has uh, brought that experience and that winning mentality back to the club. Maybe it's been lacking over the last couple of years. The experience has been lacking. Under Louis van Gaal. Um, but there you go. So the next game for uh, them is against Manchester City. And the good news, um, the good news from Manchester United's point of view is I, I would say that um, that uh, Sergio Aguero is not going to be available for this game. Uh, if you had been watching this game, you would have seen him elbow Winston Reid about 70 minutes. It was a strange incident. Um, a ball out from the back. And Aguero has a little look around at Winston Reid. Who knows what's going on throughout the game, but you can't do what Aguero did, which is quite deliberately, you know, aim an elbow. It seemed to kind of glance off the side of Reid's face. He's probably lucky that he didn't really catch him. Um, but it was clear what he was trying to do. And then Aguero kind of looked guilty afterwards. He rarely, he doesn't do this kind of stuff. Yeah, he doesn't know how to how to hide it. I mean, you got you to gotta kind of keep going. But Aguero sort of, he had this kind of mild grimace in his face. Like, I'm not quite sure why I did that. but And nothing happened. Uh, it wasn't as though the referee saw it, get, you know, gave a yellow card or anything like that. Nothing happened, which means that either Aguero will be banned or you're going to hear a lot of talk from Jose Mourinho about how the system is rigged. Mm. You know, the whole thing, it's 
it's rigged, folks. <laughs> I was, yeah, you kind of think maybe that Mourinho was, okay, around November maybe, I can start dropping Wayne Rooney and, you know, giving out about the conspiracies. Maybe, maybe he kind of feels honor bound to give it a couple of months. But now, he, basically, Sergio Aguero has put him in an impossible position. Why? 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 He can't, well, he can't ignore this. Like, you know, he, can't, he can't ignore this, uh, this outrageous uh, miscarriage of justice against, mm. his, against his team. Yeah. You know, if Aguero doesn't get banned. Well, I, I mean, Marin Fellaini's been banned for this type of thing, hasn't he? Mm. So. Yeah, well, Fellaini does it quite a lot. As Jamie Carragher pointed out, although Fellaini was rescuing uh, a woman, yeah, but he's not all bad. He yeah. uh, he saw a woman being crushed in the celebration following a Manchester United goal and ran to his sister. That's nice. Um, but uh, he, you know, we were speaking last week about how Mourinho had built him back up. Um, well, Guardiola's doing the same thing with Raheem Sterling. Raheem Sterling, who, if you remember the reaction to him playing for England in the Euros, and this kind of the utter scorn of a lot of the English fans and journalists for him, his performances and his lifestyle and his everything dueling. that's wrong with football. Yeah, the too much too soon generation. <laughs> um, this is because he bought a nice house for his mother, <laughs> which the Daily Mail put photographs of. They, the Daily Mail had all these photographs of his of the house that he bought for his mother, and we're talking about how vulgar everything was in it. Um, it turns out that Raheem Sterling, if you if you put him in a in a team that makes sense in a position that makes sense, in a, a team that's got some idea of what it's doing and good players around him, is a seriously good player, um, and he's already kind of showing that now for Guardiola's team. Guardiola's inspirational text message, um, like Mourinho's simple phone call, that was all he needed. Guardiola said, "As long as you work for me, I'll fight for you. Keep your head up. Don't worry. I know you're a good player, and you are a big part of my plans." Management is so simple in some ways. Uh, this was this is the text that he sent to Sterling during the uh, European Championships, um, which uh, apparently uh, made him feel a lot better about himself. So I often wonder about those texts. Does, uh, Ster- what about the other players who play for Manchester City? What other players play for Manchester City would have been in that uh, that squad? Oh, Joe Hart. Mm. Does does Raheem Sterling say, "Hey, Joe, did you get the pep text?" He's like, the what? The, the sorry, what, what now? Well, and like, oh, no, no, nothing. Nothing, uh, never. Yeah, I don't know. What, what, did you say something about a text? I do like, okay, Joe, yeah. gotta go. It's a, it's, just a, it's just a challenge of man management, I guess, uh, when you're working with people and you want people to work for you, just <laughs> just to be sure that mm. they all know. You know just, just just make sure they don't talk too much to each other, which yeah. they invariably will. Well, to be fair, I suppose, there, you know, the Sterling situation in Euro 2016 was so... It was, you know, it, it it wasn't like the whole team, the whole squad was getting panned, and Raheem Sterling was just a member of that for whatever reason during the Euros. Raheem Sterling was being held up. As Although this. then, yeah, Joe Hart did you know, did throw in the old clanger against Iceland. Oh, so he threw he was, in a couple fairly, of fairly panned himself. There was the, yeah. the Welsh game as well, as well but. Yeah. Um, but you know, the, so so the next game uh, obviously this, this is an international week, um, so it takes a pause, but. Uh, the next game will be between those two sides, so that should be uh, should be an interesting one. But um, the other side that's up there at the top that currently is Chelsea, who are an interesting sort of subplot in terms of, um, well, you know, the, uh, there's not really as much pressure, I think, on them as, as there are on the other two. I don't think too many people really expected Chelsea to necessarily be challenging the title such a terrible season they had last year. Um, but so far, they've been good. Um, Aiden Hazard... In particular, I mean, in fact, all the Chelsea players look a lot better at the moment don't they, than they did last season. Um, Hazard, in particular, just looks like the player he was two seasons ago. 
Has it in particular? And remember, Miguel was saying to us last week uh, that uh, one of one of Antonio Conte's frequent themes is, uh, "I was a player. Uh, I know how. I, I know sometimes what you know. Sometimes you, you have to treat the players differently, and I understand how to treat them in different situations because I was a player. I've been through this." Um, Hazard, after scoring uh, a good goal on the weekend. Antonio Conte has tried to give us confidence. He knows players because he used to be one. Um, in contrast to certain other managers, certain other managers, even in the one other manager in the top <laughs> three, in fact. Uh, so I, I think that's probably going to be something which develops a little bit. I can see in his art because he, he had such a terrible season and was shamed so much and had the finger pointed at him so much by Marina that if he continues to play well, I think he's going to have quite a lot to say on that theme. Yeah, but he played the best football of his career for Mourinho the previous season. That's true. There's, 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 he's a funny one, isn't he, Hazard? Yeah. It looks like he just he, he gives a damn again now. Yeah. And it, it, this actually started towards the end of last season, the game against Tottenham, when he decided, along with the rest of the Chelsea team, that they were going to be personally affronted by the idea of Tottenham winning the league. Yeah. So we thought, I might as well turn it on a little bit here. Yeah. And now he seems to have that mindset for that whole season. Yeah, well, he's got it at the moment. I mean, the uh, the other thing that was happening at Chelsea was the um, Fabregas situation. Lots of people kind of speculating that Fabregas was going to be on his way out because uh, basically he doesn't fit anymore. He is a... Uh, <laughs> he's not... Well, how would you describe Fabregas as a player these days? 29-year-old Cesc Fabregas. Well, remember that match today... Uh, was it a match today um, piece that was done towards the end of last season? It could have been Chelsea were playing Arsenal. I can't remember who it was exactly. And there was just a number of occasions in which he was. I, I would describe him as a little bit traffic coney, you know? <laughs> a little bit, a little bit like a traffic cone at times. Uh, gets gets moved around. Has people move around him with quite a bit of ease? When he was and trying to have the same mobility that he had. When he was trying to mark people in midfield, he was a bit like if imagine they had a string tied around their waist with a helium balloon attached, and that was the kind of impact that that okay. Fabregas was having. Um, he's only twenty nine though. Yeah, that's young enough. Uh, I wonder how many games he's played. That's he hasn't playing since he was sixteen. So um, sixteen, seventeen. Yeah, the, well, the, the talk essentially was that as as Conte frequently plays like what's almost a four-two-four. Uh, if you're if you're going to play four-two-four, which is like formation last really in vogue in the you know nineteen fifty-eight World Cup, uh, if you're going to try and do that in the Premier League, you are going to need your two to be exceptionally hardworking, mobile players, and they've got. Um, Kante, who is both of those things, and Matichu at least is hardworking uh, and you know does his best to get around. But Fabregas isn't really in that kind of mold. Um, <clears throat> however, uh, he insists that he is not going anywhere. They say he, he says, contrary to what has been written, the manager has never told me I can leave. He says he counts on me as I count on him. I will continue to fight for this club until the very end. And when called upon, I will always give my very best. Fight until the end. Uh, that's the kind of tone. Antonio Conte wants the players uh, sort of thinking it, but uh, maybe Fabregas won't be out uh, just yet. Uh, so what else was going on? There was uh, this game, a uh, very interesting game between Tottenham and Liverpool on Saturday, which was a real, uh, you remember shit on a stick? Shit on a stick? Uh, Saldano? Yeah, Chelsea Saldano. Liverpool. This was a kind of an, you know, shit on a stick 2.0. Um, kind of higher tempo, 
more attacking but sort of similar type of game between two very similar coaches uh, who both have a very kind of collectivist outlook on their team. And you had this, uh, in the middle of it all, this beautiful flower, uh, Daniel Sturridge, uh, surrounded by all this kind of, uh, you know, this grinding, clashing machinery, you know, this metal crashing into metal and sparking and this tearing sound, screeching sound of tearing metal. And then in the middle of it all, this flower standing by the sideline. Did you see the look on Sturridge's face when when Jurgen Klopp sent on Divock Origi? Uh, Divock Origi came on with 20 minutes to go. Um, and Daniel Sturridge was standing there. He had been warming up for the previous few minutes. And he really looked as though someone had just was holding sort of the shit on his stick in his face. You know what I mean? It was like right there, just out of camera shot. Just the look of utter disgust and scorn that he had for this situation. Um, but this is what happens, you know? I mean, he had been, um, during the week, uh, he'd, he'd been suggesting to Jurgen Klopp, you know, I don't really like playing wide, maybe... Well, suggesting that in the media, yeah, uh, through the media to his manager. Maybe if he'd gone and knocked on the door again, Jurgen Klopp would have been open for business, but... Yeah, imagine though how annoying it must be to actually knock on the door and, and go in and have one of those conversations with Klopp. Do you think you get to say much in that conversation or do you just have to listen to a lot of Klopp, Klopp explaining? Um, you know, uh, and Klopp then said, look, you know, the, I don't want him. He's not, he's not one of these chalk on his boots, touchline wingers. I want him to be the kind of wide player who gets in the box and, and scores. Um Alternatively, he could sit on the bench. It's mm-hmm. another, another option. So that's what uh, Sturridge ended up doing. Um, and, you know, everyone, you know, I, I don't know if you saw Klopp talking to Gary Lineker. Yes. He was trying to say how, how his attitude is to players who are out of the team. He's like, look, you know, truthful answer is you're not good enough to get in the team right now, but that doesn't necessarily mean that will the situation will be the same this time next week. It's not for 500 years that you have to sit on the bench. It's kind of just... But, you know, I think Sturridge kind of finds it pretty difficult to accept this is what's sort of become of him. Uh, You know, he definitely considers himself to be the best footballer. So why can he not get in the team? Uh, And the reason, I think, when you look at that game, you can just see it it was a really interesting game to watch because you've got two teams who are working incredibly hard. I mean, this is like a tempo of football that you haven't really, haven't seen before uh, in the Premier League. I mean, when Valdana was saying this about the Chelsea-Liverpool game nearly 10 years ago, they were two pretty hard-working teams, but they were also they were playing kind of uh, a bit of long ball, a bit of direct football. I mean, he talked about Drogba jumping the highest and crashing into people the hardest. You know what I mean? It wasn't like this... Uh, what was really interesting, like the first half, Liverpool hunting Tottenham down in their own half um, and repeatedly having success winning the ball. But the whole thing is kind of so... It's like an ingeniously mechanical system. Every time... Tottenham have the ball at the back, you see Liverpool doing the same thing. You see Firmino come between the two central defenders, Mane kind of moves up. They're trying to get them to play it to one side, and once it's on one side, then they just all um, close in on the space, and then suddenly Danny Rose is there trying to pass the ball out. This great chance Coutinho had after three minutes is from that, and they're just doing the same thing over and over again. Like the carry forwards, chasing down Stephen Cluxon's kickouts. Yeah, well, eventually, I mean, the carry forwards only did it for two minutes out of 70. I mean, they should have been trying to do it, I, I think, for... For a bit, uh, for a bit more than that, I'm sure we'd be talking about that at some stage. Oh, yeah, we'll talk about it in the other podcast. Fascinating yeah. encounter. It really was, yeah. Um, but the problem is that you need, in, in order to play this way, you need to, you. It's it's like uh, you, 
it's incredibly demanding physically of the players. So demanding. I mean, before the game, uh, Raymond Verheyen, the Dutch fitness guru and Twitter um, sensation, sensation, had kind of placed a gypsy's curse on on uh, Coutinho, saying if you know if Coutinho plays, watch the hamstring go pop, which didn't actually happen. He did get subbed off. Um, but you can imagine how that would have gone. But the reason for this is this is this really demanding uh, style of play. It's like constant work, constant sweat. This is just not the kind of player that Daniel Sturridge is. You know, he's a player who's good on the ball. It's and also the kind of game plan where you can't carry a person either. You know, it's not like, say, you ask uh, you ask your two holding central midfielders to... You, know, you can ask them to do whatever the hell they like. You know, you sign two central midfielders to do that job, that's fine. But, I mean, the the level of pressing that you're talking about there, if one guy doesn't do it, then the whole thing just doesn't completely work. collapses. Yeah, it, 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 needs to everybody, it needs everybody to do it. I mean, Sturridge had spoken last week about how certain he, he prefers playing centrally because he, he was on autopilot, that there was uh, movements which come naturally to him. He's been doing them, you know, his whole career. Uh, he just instinctively knows what to do. And I thought, really? Because the team that you're playing in now is completely different from any team that you played in before in terms of precisely what you're talking about, the movements that you're required to make on the pitch. It's not like this... It's not like being part of a press like that is something which occurs naturally to a player. You know, it's something that has to be learned and understood and then executed. Uh, there's a lot... There's, there's learning and conscious thought involved in, in applying that. It's not just off the cuff. Sturridge is talking about what happens on the ball or when the team has the ball. But what Klopp is thinking about all the time is what happens when the team doesn't have the ball. Yeah. And it's almost like he... he you know that's that's the part of the game that he is he's really working on as a coach and then the other the what happens on the ball is more left up to the players not entirely i mean there's still a kind of automated um kind of uh, uh character to that as well for instance the second goal uh, the liverpool didn't that they scored but it was offside but you know these these kinds of the runs that lalana and mané made they're kind of it's choreographed you know mm-hmm. what i mean um, but more so, he's thinking about off the ball, and that's kind of where Sturridge, Sturridge doesn't really, I don't think, think in those terms. So the future not great for Sturridge under Klopp. I don't think so because I don't, I don't believe that he, um, even though he's the best finisher at the club, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah, he's a good finisher, but I, I think, I think Klopp tends to think that's not really so important. Any player can finish, you know, especially. Well, that's not true. Well, I think I think that's how he looks at it because if you if you're talking about the, the way it's it's kind of a trade off. It's like, are you going to prioritize a situation where you've got a really gifted player who can score unlikely from from unlikely situations? He's that good, you know, like Sturridge's goal in the Europa League final, unbelievable goal. Who else in his team can do that? Not not too many players. Or are you going to prioritize picking players who can play together in a system that's going to make a lot of chances? You know, it's that you're going to win the ball so many times uh, in dangerous situations. You're going to have, you know, this many players in the box whenever, you know, this, this he's thinking in these terms. It's like it's not about have, you know, a really special player who's got special gifts, who's able to, you know, lob the ball, you know, chip the ball over a defender and the goalkeeper and everyone in the stadium is amazed. It's about getting four or five men in the box every time that you have a good attacking situation. You will score the goals. You know, the players will surprise themselves. I mean, for instance, the goal, that the, the offside goal that Mane scored, you don't have to be a good finisher to score that goal, really. You just have to be there. 
And that's what he's, so that's kind of what he's prioritizing. It reminded me a little bit, you know, the sort of thing of this situation with Robbie Keane in Ireland. I mean, we are going, we will be hearing from Robbie Keane in a bit. But the situation uh, with Robbie Keane in Ireland for so long was this idea that, well, he's obviously our best, our kind of most talented striker and by miles our top scorer. And we need to have him in the team because who else is going to score? But having him in the team made it much less likely that anyone else in the team was going to score. I think it made the team as a whole less... Less likely to create the chances needed for Robbie to finish. Less effective, yeah, because he wasn't really doing... I mean, did you see Stephen Hunt's piece about him? Yeah. Stephen Hunt uh, wrote a piece about him in Sunday Independent, now, in which he admitted at the very beginning, we never really got on. <laughs> I always like that. That's always a good start when you're about to talk about a former teammate. It's mm. like, ooh, we might get some, some real talk here. We never, we never got on, however... Good player, Robbie Keane, uh, uh, you know, a crazed animal uh, on the goal, on the scent of goals, you know, a baying goal hound. He brought up the Noel Hunt one again. Yeah, the Noel he Hunt still thinks again. Noel Hunt scored that goal. It's 66 international goals for Robbie Keane in the, opinion of, in the opinion of Stephen Hunt. But uh, the interesting thing about him was, what, was when he was saying, <laughs> I mean, he, he there was a thing about how Robbie would then he met sometimes make a uh, look as though he was going to try and make a run across a defender or you know what was it he was going to he was going to close someone down but it was just for show he wasn't really doing that at all all he was doing was saving his energy for the next moment that he might need it if it came to, if the opportunity came to try and score so he was quite deliberately keeping his rationing his energy not wasting energy on team defensive work it's like I'm not here to do that <laughs> I'm here to score that's what that's what you're picking me for, but you know, I don't think you can get away with that anymore on the field. You're going to be found out if the other team has got eleven players who are all working hard and you only have ten. Then you know yeah. you've got you've got a problem. Um, Robbie Keane got away with that largely because of the managers. And Trapattoni was like, "Well, you know, I, I, I just don't believe in any of these other players." Um, but but Martin for Martin O'Neill, it's eventually been sorry, but. I'm going to pick players. Yeah, but that's also because Robbie wasn't as good as he used to be. He was getting old and Was less there really much, much of a difference between Robbie Keane in, in 2011-2012 and 2013-14? And I don't think so. I don't think there's a huge difference. Mm. Um, you know, I mean, he's still, I, I, he's still I don't, I don't killing it. He's still yeah. killing it in, in Major League Soccer. Kill, killing it, you know? And I mean, he, was, he, he moved there. He moved there when? 2010-2011? Mm. You know, it's a long time. It's a long time. Anyway, um... Well, one more quick story. Uh, the other uh, team we just mentioned is Everton, who are uh, just outside this big top three that I'm talking about. And that's a bit of a turnaround uh, for them. And in a way, the most refreshing thing about Everton so far is how incredibly boring they've been. Uh, joyfully, obstinately boring. <laughs> uh, but only two goals conceded, uh, which means two wins out of three. And up there in the Champions League positions, Ronald Koeman saying, we can uh, maybe take a picture of the league table. <laughs> but it does appear as though Koeman has quite quickly been able to uh, do essentially what he was hired to do, which is to sort out this incredibly neurotic and uh, malfunctioning Everton defence, which had been just left in, in, in a disgrace by, um, by uh, Martinez. Martinez, yeah. Uh, he did mention, however, that James McCarthy has got some kind of a groin problem. I don't know if you saw, there was one of these situations where McCarthy met someone on the street and he said, oh, I've just met James McCarthy. Asked him if he was joining Celtic. He said, hopefully, in a picture of your man and, and McCarthy. Um, 
which which Celtic fans joyfully seized on. I mean, who knows? You know, whether McCarthy would be interested in that move, who knows what, what he really thinks. Um, well, we know what he really thinks. He told the man. He said, hopefully. <laughs> uh, it will be, I think, not a great move to go to go back to Celtic at this point. I think he, he kind of needs to to persevere with this situation, which isn't going well for him at Everton. But at the moment, Koeman is saying that he's a groin problem, which might need an operation, um, which is uh, which is not good. Uh, I guess not good from an Irish point of view, but maybe if this thing has been going on for a while and has been affecting his form for a long time, maybe it is best that he just gets it sorted. That's it for Kennerly's Report on Sport. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. Second captain, first captain, whatever. Richie Sadler's here, Richie, how are you? How are you, lads? How are you, lads? Richie, how are you, lads? How are you doing this week? I'm marvellous. Look at the joy on my face. Look how happy I was. What the fuck happened? <laughs> no, really. You know, what happened? When John was young, everyone in the city knew about him, but no one had seen him. It is not war and death and famine. It's not that at all. It's the opposite of that. It's persuaded of the world outside of that. That's why sport's important. Rob Smythe is ready to chat, Rob, about, I, th- I think, a, a favourite of yours as footballers go. You've written quite glowingly about Marcus Rashford in the past, described him as a, possibly a genius. And England may just have found a genius during Euro 2016. So what did you make of him at the weekend? I thought he was exceptional again. He, every time he comes on, and in circumstances where you think he might try a bit too hard because of the slight of not playing the first two games, he just takes control of games really calmly. Even the Wales game when he came on, was slightly different but again I just thought almost all of his touches were so impressive I I know it's a big thing to say he could be a genius but I, I can't really see any flaws apart from maybe his heading I think he's got absolutely everything in his game and most importantly his temperament looks remarkable for an 18 year old it really does yeah and as, as in fairness Mar- Marshall is another young player who has something similar but with Rashford it's incredible how calm he seems to be when he a lot of players go their entire career and they never really work out how to impact games off the bench, for example, whereas he just seems to come on and, and get to the pitch of it straight away. He's totally unruffled by anything. Yeah, he's kind of he's, he manages to be direct without being desperate, which is a quite a hard thing to do when you're chasing a game. But the other thing is that he influences it in different ways. You know, he can, he can beat man with skill or with pace. He put that one brilliant cross in. There was another time when he got the ball from Shaw in the box and he had his head up and found Mkhitaryan. Obviously, the goal was a really good late run into the box he's got flicks he's elegant I he, I really think he's got everything He's. I, I think he's the most impressive almost exciting United youngster since Giggs certainly even more so I, I'm not saying he'll be as good as Paul's goals because I don't think he well he might be but I think he's more exciting at this age in fact I'm certainly more exciting at this age than Scholes was Scholes wasn't even in the first team at 18 yeah I mean I was at that Wales game the England-Wales game and uh, remember thinking when he, you know after watching him for a few minutes this is you know, I'd kind of thought of him as being like a penalty box finisher. I suppose maybe my impression molded by the first few goals he scored, which were all quite similar. You know, he kind of first time finishes in the box. I thought this guy knows he knows where to where to be, where to arrive. Mm. But he was like skinning people down the wing. Uh, mm. He had all these kind of tricks. I thought I thought he's actually got a lot more to him than I um, really expected. He has. I, Mourinho said he's not quite ready to play on the left yet, and. Reno knows a bit more about football than me, but I personally would play him there ahead of Martial at the moment. He's not in great form because the way he beats players is, is really impressive. He draws them in and then he can he can do them with skill or with pace. I remember he 
completely burned, I think it was Chris Gunter off in the Wales game. And the other thing is, there have been more exciting 18-year-olds like Owen and Rooney at major tournaments, but it, it, there's a kind of expertise to what Rashford does. They kind of took the whole thing by storm through their youthfulness and just sheer skill. But with him, there's a calmness and expertise that you just don't see in teenage footballers. And also he responds, so far he's responded really well to adversity, which I think is important. And there was a Spurs game when he was taken off at half-time, which was fairly humiliating last season. And then three or four days later, they played at West Ham in the Cup and he was exceptional. He scored that great Solskjaer-style goal and he curled it into the top corner. And again, I know it's only two league games, but I think it was a bit of a slight. Not not that he didn't start, but he didn't come on at all after the uh, six months he'd had. And to then come on when he really needed a goal and to just calmly take control of that game, I, I thought it was remarkable. One thing that's a little bit strange about his story is that usually... Um well, I mean, there was very little hype about him before he actually broke into the Manchester United first team, which was an unexpected event caused by a series of injuries. Mm. Uh, and suddenly he was kind of catapulted from like under 18 level to the actual first team. But usually when, when you've got a player with this type of ability to make an, er, an impact so early in their career, you're hearing about that player for years. It's before. true. So, I think that's the one catch. And that's the one thing that gives me slight pause. I think, well, hang on, why why wasn't, why didn't we hear about like Giggs and Skulls? Owen and Ferguson Rooney. talked you know, about the, that yeah. moment when he saw Giggs, I think as a 13-year-old, and he said he was like a cocker spaniel chasing something in the wind. And I don't think there was that moment with Rashford. There, there are only two possible, I mean, it does happen. You do get players who develop late. For example, they're not similar players, but Beckham was, was nowhere near the top of the list of players they thought would make it from that generation. And he had a kind of sporting growth spurt. But I think also, I wonder if it's because the way he plays is very technical, very accomplished. I wonder if he's one of those players who just gets better as he moves up levels because he's around better players. I wonder if the, the kind of subtleties of what he does, or a lot of what he does anyway, the little give and goes and the way he receives passes and makes space. I wonder if that becomes more apparent as you play with better players. That That's the likeliest explanation, I I think. He's the I think he's he's the first teenager can to score for Mourinho. Jose certainly. Mourinho, yeah. Yeah, in the league, which is an interesting one. And there was, you know, a bit of scepticism as to whether or not Mourinho would be the right manager, or more to the point, whether or not Rashford would be the right age profile for mm. a Jose Mourinho team. As you're saying, it's not like he's been starting games particularly, but he is having an impact. Do you think that maybe Mourinho he was a pains in his opening press conference as Manchester United manager to state very clearly that he does bring young players through and he does trust youth. Do you think he will come to trust Marcus Rashford? I do, but I don't think it'll be the instant um, occurrence that people think after Saturday. I don't think he'll start the derby. Um, I think at the moment Mourinho sees him as a centre forward. And he made a comment after Saturday. He said he's almost ready to play on the wing. So maybe, you know, with a few months coaching that will become an option. But at the moment, I think he sees him as a centre-forward and he only plays one, and that will be Ibrahimovic, unless they're chasing a game as they were on on uh, Saturday. So I think for the time being, he'll stay on the bench. But yeah, I think he's too good and too consistently good as well. That's the, the other thing. You often get teenagers who are brilliant one game and not so good the next, but Rashford just seems to play really well every time you see him. So I think he'll become an important player and the plan will be that he succeeds Ibrahimovic in two years' time. But it, if he keeps playing like this, then you know it might become a bigger issue, especially with the Allardyce thing where he said that he he will only pick him if he's playing regularly. Mm. Rashford seems level-headed, so I think he'll be okay to wait. Uh, but if he keeps playing as well as he did Saturday, you know, it might become an issue with the media and with fans as well as 
maybe with the player. What do you make of these uh, members of the uh, football analytics community who say that an absurd percentage of Rashford's shots have just ended up in the net? This can't possibly go on and he's therefore doomed to slide back towards a more realistic uh, level for a part of his ability. Uh, well, I don't know much about analytics. I, I think they're probably right about the, the shots, but as you said, that's only one part of his game. Um, there's so much more to him. I think he could play I think he could play left wing. I think he could play... Again, I'm not saying he's as good as Omri, but there are bits of Omri in the way he floats from centre to left and the kind of leggy elegance. So I think there's so much more to his game than goal scoring. He does look a good finisher, but apparently, it's interesting that apparently at youth level his finishing wasn't that good. Um, but he has looked really good so far. I think the other thing is that his movement and his intelligence are really good, and that's kind of a, a just a constant state, you would think. So I do agree that you can't score with whatever percentage of shots he has. But I don't think that necessarily matters because there is so much more to his game. When you step back a little bit, you kind of look at the bigger picture at Manchester United at the moment, uh, Rob. Um, I mean, there are a couple of things, obviously, a couple of big changes going on. Uh, Jose Mourinho is the manager. But what do, you, what do you think of the situation with Wayne Rooney? I mean, he, he obviously created this goal for Marcus Rashford um, with a, a great piece of play and, you know, injury time. Maybe if they'd had a player who was playing well for 90 minutes before that, they would have won the game 4-0. I mean, how long do you think it can go on this way? Uh, I think it's a huge issue. I think he's a real problem. There's a slight paradox that he's created two goals and scored one. But what I would say is the two goals he's created were both from wide positions when he was in quite a lot of space. He really struggles now in tight areas, i.e. as a number 10, because he's not strong enough. He's not His touch isn't good enough and he's not fast enough. Not physically. strong enough. He's the first person to say... I think I've ever heard suggest that Wayne Rooney... He was. No, he was. He was brilliant. He used to throw defenders aside. But you watch when the ball goes into him. It happened on Saturday, actually. He just gets brushed off the ball really easily now. Mm. Um, and I, I, I'm not even sure his brain works as quickly as it did. I, I think if he plays... I think Hodgson, actually, I didn't agree with it at first, but I think Hodgson was on something because his passing is still excellent and he can still play those kind of long diagonal passes... But I think he needs to be in. You need to find an area to get him in space. I personally, I drop him. I think he's past it. It's quite sad, but it just. I think the problem with Rooney is he's thirty, but it, as a footballer, he's effectively thirty-five because of the miles on the clock and his lifestyle. Mm. So he should be perceived in the way that Giggs was towards the end of his career. Played maybe start twenty-five games a season, is around the dressing room, comes off the bench occasionally, but that's not possible because of his status. And also states in the eyes of the British media, which I think is a problem. I, I I would like to think Mourinho thinks it's too big a political thing to do early on to come in and drop him. It's not worth a hassle and he'll phase him out. But I don't know. I'm starting to wonder, you know, Allardyce has picked him as well. And I thought Allardyce might drop him. Um, I, I think it's a problem. Uh, Mkhitaryan did more in half an hour than Rooney did in 90 minutes. I know Rooney made the goal, but yeah. in terms of general play, I think Rooney kind of stops a lot of United attacks at source. He is. Maybe, maybe there's a way to play him wide because he'll get he'll get in more. I mean, it's not ideal, but then again, they don't have that many great wide players anyway if he's not going to play Rashford there. Yeah. So maybe that's a way around him. Then you keep his experience. And he, The other thing, he's quite a good finisher still. That hasn't really regressed. So if you can get him in position, but I don't know if it's worth the sacrifice of... I certainly wouldn't play him as a number 10. He's not going to play as a number 9 because of Ibrahimovic and Rashford. So maybe shoot him in wide. I, I think it'd be better dropping him. The uh, he, he does. Uh, you mentioned the political situation there in regards to Jose Mourinho. Rooney 
does still know how to say all the right things. He says Jose Mourinho has brought a winning mentality back, um, which I'm sure Mourinho is happy to hear from his captain. Um, <laughs> I, I wonder how you feel about Jose Mourinho as a custodian of the soul of Manchester United. Uh, we know that there was some scepticism about him from people like Bobby Charlton and maybe even Alex Ferguson, although everybody disputes that now. Mm. Um, uh, what, what do you think about what he's done so far? Does he, is, he, is he showing signs that he gets what the club is all about? Is, is, this, uh, is this the same Manchester United as we've always known or, or something slightly different taking I'm, shape? I'm not sure what the club is all about now anyway, given what's happened in the last few years. You know, the way they handled, particularly in well, both departures, actually, Moyes and Van Gaal, and things like that. So I think in a way, in that sense, it's better for him to take over after those two than straight after Ferguson because the club has changed quite a lot in three years. I think there are certain things he's done. I mean, Saturday was very Ferguson, the last half an hour, the way they just went for it and just didn't didn't let up and then scored an injury time. That, that was kind of the first... Um, apart from the game, I think it was at Watford last season under Van Gaal, that was the first kind of reminder of Ferguson years and I think they've played some pretty good stuff so far given the relatively weak squad they've got um I think he'll always be you know I think he'll always pick fights with people but I think it's important not to overstate how different he is from Ferguson because there was certain things that Ferguson did all the time that if Mourinho did they would be painted in a different light you know when he called Newcastle was a small wee club and I mean it was actually quite funny but (laughs) if, if Mourinho did that it would be seen differently you think some of the things the, the Rouse folks have with Arsene Wenger, with Benitez, where he belittled him. I don't really have a problem with that, but I do have a problem with people giving Mourinho less kind of sympathy when he does it. Um, I don't think it's hugely different. I suppose it'll be what will be interesting is will be to see what happens when when it gets really kind of tight towards the end of the season. If United and, and City and Guardiola are kind of neck and neck with five games to go, it'll be interesting to see how it goes then and how he behaves. Um, but at the moment, I think he's he's um, he's doing fine. I suppose the other thing is he he was desperate for this job for so long. Like this was the job, if if reports to be believed, that he's wanted for almost a decade now. He kind of planned his career to succeed Sir Alex Ferguson. Didn't work out like that, but he still managed to get it. So I think he'll be loath to um, to stuff it up by doing things in public and in press conferences that might cause him. Uh, political problems. Okay, well, we'll wait and see on that one. Rob Smith, always good to talk. Thanks a million. Thanks. Yeah, very interesting analysis from Rob there about Rooney's strength. And now that he mentions it, he does kind of get brushed off the ball a little bit. But it's funny because you just assume that the strength is the one thing that doesn't... Well, also the first five yards being in your brain, <laughs> that also doesn't go... But physical, physical, I suppose, maybe... Human beings do get weaker as they get older, but he's only 30-odd and he's still a bull of a man, so it's surprising. Well, I've seen quite a lot of things um, suggesting that actually strength kind of peaks in your mid-30s and begins to then level off very slowly um, until you get into your 60s and then it sort of the decline picks up speed. Um, it's ahead of all of us. In Rooney's case, Daniel Taylor actually wrote a piece uh, about him uh, well, it wasn't a full column, but he, he, he just had a little uh, bit mentioning that... Uh, I can't remember who was defending Rooney against... Oh, it was Paul Parker, wasn't it? Paul Parker had said, Rooney's overweight. Uh, he's overweight, he's out of shape. And um, Daniel Taylor was saying, well, you know, you can you can say a lot of things about Rooney at the moment and how he's playing, but the idea that he's overweight 
he wasn't sure about it. He's like, if you actually see Rooney in person, he, he said spending time around him during the Euros, you're kind of surprised by how slight he is. Um, now, I have seen Rooney, of course, I wouldn't, wouldn't have said that slightness was necessarily oh, yeah. the first word that comes. But, but he does look a little kind of, like as though he, he looks like someone who has actually tried quite hard to keep his weight down. But I wonder maybe if he's lost a little bit of the... You know what I mean? If he's if he's a little drained by that effort, mm. uh, if he's maybe given up a little bit of uh, power in order to be more kind of skinny, um, then he naturally should. Maybe if he was at his full fighting weight out there, he wouldn't be getting uh, shoveled off the ball, but maybe he wouldn't be getting on the ball all that often either. You were in Abbottstown today to see the final press conference that Robbie Keane is going to give as a current Republic of Ireland international. Yes. How was he good form? Looking forward to his send off? He was in very good form. Um, it's been a nice, nice few days for him. It's. I remember we interviewed Owen Redden not that long ago, uh, the former Irish rugby international, after his retirement, and he said it's qu- it's quite nice people saying all these lovely things about you because it's not like uh, you wake you you go around every day and everyone tells you what they think you know how much esteem they hold you in. So for Redden, he said he was actually blown away by the uh, the kindness of people and Robbie's getting that at the moment yeah he he seemed to be I mean he said thanks to the journalists which is not something I could have ever imagined happening before but everybody was in a good mood I guess um, I suppose we'll hear a little bit of this yeah. is Robbie talking about uh, the game is Wednesday nights against Oman maybe not the biggest draw in, in world football um, but he's hoping I guess for a good crowd and a good send off yeah listen of course yeah this uh I'm just very grateful to, to be given the opportunity to, to you know, to, to say goodbye to the fans. So the, the, the true fans over the years have been always very, very fantastic to me. Uh, I've had a great, I've had a great, uh, great career with them, and, and, and they've they seen me through the good times and the bad times. So, you know, if they're all there, it'd be obviously it'd be fantastic, and uh, I'm just grateful from certainly for. From the manager's point of view, and you know, giving me that call a few weeks ago, and you know, asked me to play in this game. Uh, so after yours, I, I thought that was that was it, and you know, it was. I think for everybody in the Euros, was you know, when, when you lose a game, it's very hard. But to see my son Robert in the crowd after, and and, and seven years of age, and and, and crying his eyes out, was a uh, was a moment for me in terms of. I was exactly like that when I was a kid, and it shows his true love for Ireland. And that's exactly why having to go out and say thank you to the fans on, on Wednesday will be a special moment for me, and, and, and certainly something that I'll, I'll never for, never forget. So I'm going to take in as much as I can, enjoy everything, and and certainly enjoy, enjoy everything I've done. And like to you guys as well, you know, I'd like to thank all of you. I mean, you've been through everything with me, and um, you know. To, through you, you've you, you've seen, I think the real the real Robbie Keane, and uh, not the one that people perceive you of. I think you know me as uh, as a person. All I ever wanted to do was uh, be a good teammate, be a good player for the national team, and 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 be the best that I can be for Ireland. And uh, you know, you just shown me a lot of love, so I appreciate it. Yeah, there you go. As you mentioned, Ken, mm. Robbie thanking the journalists. What was the reaction in the room? Oh, I thank you. Thank you, Robbie. Well, he he, uh, he was scheduled to do that press conference, but he wasn't scheduled to do um, then a sit-down with the daily journalists. But he did it anyway because someone asked him, and he said, oh, yeah, sure, no no problem. <laughs> so there would be a lot more of this Robbie Keane stuff tomorrow. 
that we can't reveal uh, what it was. <laughs> <laughs> All yeah. sorts of incendiary stuff in the daily newspaper that they can sitting on for the time being. Yeah, no, we can't. We can't yeah. say that. I'm sure. It's, I'm sure it's more more of the same. What else was he saying? Um, he was asked uh, by Tony Dunhu what his standout moments were. Um, uh, he had mentioned obviously the Germany, the goal against Germany in the World Cup in the statement that he put out a couple of days ago. Um, but uh, what what else? I mean, he, Tony, I think, mentioned the, the goal against France in his question and uh, he was asking essentially what what other things. I mean, the Germany one is obviously the first one he always just mentions, but is there anything else that comes to mind? There's been, there's been so many moments. Certainly, obviously, the Germany one in the World Cup was, for me, will stand, always stand out for me. Um, the France one doesn't really stand out as much because we lost the game. Which when 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 you're a footballer, just you always remember you try and remember the good things. Um, but I think nothing will ever beat the fourth goal you've ever scored for for Ireland and against Malta when we won five 0 and scored two. That was this a year a year and a half before that. I was playing on the streets in Tala, and here I am on the big stage, Lansdowne Road, scoring my fourth goal against in front of the Irish crowd and. People like Noel Quinn and Steve Staunton and Gary Kelly and people like that that you, you respected as, as a young kid growing up and then you're there with them, you're playing with them. It was a, it was a surreal moment. I think you've, you've probably seen, well, which is probably not good. I have seen over the last, certainly over the last few weeks, people sending me the, my first interview. Uh, I think it's uh, against Argentina. I think that shows you you know, the joy I had to put that green jersey on him and and that has never left me. That's always been the same. Even even to, to the Euros, that seventeen year old kid uh growing up on talent. It's still the same lad and still has the appreciation of putting that orange jersey on him. and that's something that that will never go away from me. Had you seen that interview that he referenced, the one against Argentina? We might have to dig it out. Oh yeah. So this is the first. This is the first time you saw him playing for Ireland as well, wasn't it? It was his first home game. Yeah, his first home game. Yeah. Around like May '98. Okay, no, I like the I like the sound of that. We'll dig that out now in a minute, but uh, not before hearing a bit more from current Robbie, uh, 2016 Robbie, uh, 2016 and beyond, uh, Robbie Keane, because it's you know the future stretches away uh, to a horizon of limitless possibility for Robbie Keane. Has he thought about what uh, that future might hold for him? Uh, being like the Ireland manager, maybe, or uh, you know anything like that. First and foremost, as I, as I said in, in, in my statement, that is is to continue to play to play the game that I love. I'm just a lad that loves playing football, so I'll continue to do that for for as as, as many years as possible. Um, if you're asking me down down the road, would I like to be involved? Of course, but certainly not. Uh, not not at the time being. Um, I think it's I think it's important for me now to focus on uh, to focus on my football uh, my club career for a couple more years and then after that we see what happens. But just because I've done my coaching badges and, and just because maybe I've got a little bit of a name for myself, that doesn't automatically mean that I'm going to go into management or going to be a good manager or a bad manager. No one really knows, but it's certainly I've took the steps to uh, to do that, and and of course I'd like to stay in the game uh, after I finish playing. But certainly at this moment of time, is, is fully focused on, on still playing. I'm kind of a little bit surprised about that that he wasn't more definitive about the management. I suppose you don't want to set yourself up for a fall either, especially when you, you 
generally do still see yourself playing for a few mm. years. But I, I thought he might just be a bit more like, yeah, management 100% it, I'm going to do my best. But the way he was talking there... It's kind of we'll see what happens. That you know, I've got the, I've got, I'm getting the badges, and we'll take it from there. Yeah, you don't need to do everything all in the one day, though. Um, maybe today for the, you know, goodbye uh, yeah. Irish fans, goodbye Irish journalists, uh, goodbye uh, national team. Maybe tomorrow, then it's I want to manage Ireland. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll wait and see. Uh, here it is: a 17-year-old Robbie Keane speaking to Jer Canning after his home debut against Argentina. Thanks a lot indeed. Robbie, you must have enjoyed that enormously. You got a great reception. You played a fantastic game. Yeah, I enjoyed it tremendously. To be honest with you, it was a great game. Uh, great experience for me and I just enjoyed every minute of it. And you went very close to getting your first goal at senior international level. Yeah, I had a few chances, but... It didn't come off, but at the end of the day, I was, just, I was there, so that's the main thing. The crowd really were supportive. Yeah, the crowd were brilliant. Uh, uh, the Irish crowd are always superb. I know I used to come here myself and you was watching always superb, but today they were brilliant for me and great for Ireland, so brilliant. Bit of a dream come true, playing alongside Niall Quinn and some of the other stars? Yeah, definitely. It was a dream come true for me. Something I always dreamt of, and now it's come true. It's just magnificent to play up, uh, up front with Niall Quinn, who's been around. Uh, a long time and it's just brilliant to be up there with him only 17 you got it all in front of you please God yeah I hope so anyway. ok well played well done Robbie lovely stuff from Robbie Keane all those years ago oh, he, look. visually it works even better I mean we don't have the facility on to, to play a video on this podcast this audio podcast but his head is it's a lot fatter than it is now <laughs> there's still a lot of you know sort of uh, baby fat on there I think you think Oh, you know, do you think? Yeah. It's fine to think. You haven't, you haven't just, you know, you're just <laughs> saying that Robbie Keane at 17 years of age had a bit of baby fat. That's, that's not a major, not no that. major scandal. I was quite struck by his, just his facial, uh, Mick McCarthy goes on to get involved in this interview. I'm kind of looking at it here. And Robbie's kind of, it's, it's always awkward for a, pl- a player to be standing there while his manager says nice things about him. Mm-hmm. So it's like Robbie doesn't really know where to look. But yeah. then Mick goes on to take umbrage with Jerry Canning's questioning about Ian Hart not being a natural centre half. Oh right. Yeah. <laughs> so there's a bit of snippiness, a bit of Mick McCarthy snippiness. Imagine, uh, imagine thinking Ian Hart wasn't a natural centre half. Mm-hmm. That debate hasn't had quite had the longevity of Robbie Keane's Ireland career. Okay, we'll see if Robbie can get one more goal on Wednesday night, maybe uh, against Oman. In the meantime, thanks very much, Ken. Thank you very much. Thanks Owen. very much, Murph. Thank you, Owen. Thank you, Kenny. Thank you. Kyle. Thanks for listening to this one. We have got another show out today, which is all about Dublin beating Kerry in an all-time classic All Ireland semi-final. Take care. That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. That's... Yeah. They have asked for that, really. Well, you can laugh. I'm the World Cup. I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. But you don't know what you're talking about. What yeah. did you know? I managed to stay alive for six days. I'd say it to you, face. I'll say it to you now. I'll come down to Anfield and we'll see them, won't we? What you doing down here, you shawnee man? <laughs> Mom. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.